We're doing a, a series at the moment on the culture of the church, talking about the culture of Jubilee Church, and uh, we've been using three, we're using five cultural definitions, which are just going to come up for you on the slide there. My lovely assistant will reveal them for you in a short moment. There you go. So we're starting this week with honour, then we're going on to courage, authenticity, passion and family. Thank you so much for those that have uh, sort of got in touch and said how much they like those words and how excited they are about them and some people have even written poems about them uh, without even knowing what we're going to be saying over the next five weeks which is incredibly prophetic and exciting. So thank you. Thank you for that. It's really encouraging. So we're going to do culture of honour today uh, which we sort of short defined as this, receiving and releasing people according to how God sees them, releasing and re- releasing and receiving people according to how God sees them. And um, I've got to say, it's been a bit of a challenge pulling this together because last time we talked about the culture of honour, which is our kind of foundational culture, it's where we started a few years ago. It took us eight weeks to uh, to communicate to you what we felt this was about as far as we as a church were concerned. So I haven't actually got eight weeks to do it this time. I've just got the next 30 minutes. So it is a bit of a challenge, but hopefully we're going to get through that. So we... Um, we, we, we think that this, uh, series is, is so important, this particular cultural aspect is so important that without it, none of the others would actually work. Which is why we've taken so much time previously to, to really talk about that. But you know, honour is just not something that is part of our society at all. The idea of honouring people is a very strange concept. In fact, there's a lot of dishonour around. It's easier to find dishonour than it is to find honour. There's the celebrity culture, of course, which is a kind of honouring, but that's a bit flaky and a bit shallow, really. But the dishonouring culture, I mean, just this week, um, I mean, it's almost every week you can see evidence of dishonour around you. I was reading about a factory, uh, somewhere in the Midlands, actually, a sandwich-making factory, who've <clears throat> made it their stated intention not to guarantee employment for anybody, but they kind of use the Eastern European community coming over as a kind of a slave labour, they don't pay them anything, uh, well they do, sorry, they don't pay them anything other than the minimum wage and there's a really really big uh, turnover of staff because they don't give them any kind of job security whatsoever, there's a kind of a slavery there with no kind of security at all. And uh, so that's in in the media this week. (coughs) Also this week I was uh, doing a prophetic evening with another church And a lady there just said out loud in front of everybody, she says, you know, I don't like the church. There's nothing particularly about the church that excites me. Not meaning her church necessarily, but the church generally. There's no kind of good experience of church that she's experienced. That made me feel really sad. That made me feel really sad. And then just uh, recently as well, I spoke to a, a young teenage girl who started her sentence with these words. She said, I'm not any good, and I haven't got much to offer, but I think God might have spoken to me. So I felt sad and happy all at the same time. So what did I do? I immediately turned to her and started speaking, declaring over her about her identity in Christ, what an amazing young woman she was and how gifted she was. And you could just see her head coming up like that. 
It was somewhere else uh, on Saturday. I was talking to a volunteer youth worker. And we were talking about the need for God to break out amongst young people in, in the city that he's a part of. And he, God's given him such a heart and a passion for these young people. But his whole manner, uh, the, the whole way he spoke about it was, was a sense of, but I'm not very gifted. I haven't got a lot to offer. We were saying, well, have you ever prayed over these guys or prophesied over them? I can't do that kind of thing. And so we just prayed for him. We just prayed for an anointing over him and actually phoned us afterwards to say that he'd had quite a different evening this Saturday night. Honour is so lacking. It's so rare amongst us, even in the church. Um, But this is something we are very, very passionate about and we think it's very important. So what does it mean to honour others? Well, honour is about value. That's what the word means all 41 times that it appears in the New Testament. Attaching value to something or someone or the price that has been paid. Well, the word isn't always translated honour, but it's quite often translated with the word value or price. So to honour somebody is to value them. So what kind of value are we talking about? First of all, we're talking about the value of uh, everyone as a human being. We're made in the image of God, that's what the Bible says, and so that's why we have these commands, do not murder, do not injure, do not kill, because there is an intrinsic value, biblically, uh, to, to human life. We talk about the sanctity of human life, it comes right out of the Bible. So firstly, there's that, their value as a human being. Secondly, there's the value of the price that God has paid in sending his son. You know, we've been bought with a price. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. That word price is the word honour. We've been bought with honour. And do you know what that honour is? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, God's only son. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. His life in exchange for us. God's only son against my life. Think about that. (laughs) There's some scale in that, isn't there? I mean, that's a great price. And surely that's an indication of the high value that God has placed on every one of us. And this is true, by the way, whether we're a Christian or not. It makes no difference, this side of eternity. Jesus still died for everyone. It's just that some have come to believe and accept it, and others haven't yet. So people are not honoured in the world, as we've just seen. You know, they're mistreated, they're abused, they're enslaved, they're killed. But the church is meant to be a very different place. It's a reflection of heaven on earth. So in terms of the culture that we create, it's got to be a reflection of what God wants and what God sees and what God says. I love these words that were written by Danny Silk. He wrote these words. A culture of honour is created as a community of people learns to discern and receive people in their God-given identities. Culture of honour is created as a community of people learns to discern and receive people in their God-given identities. You see, at the root of a culture of honour is our understanding of identity. It's understanding not just for ourselves who we are now in Christ, but also to see that and release it in one another. Now, we spent a lot of time on this uh, as a church, talking about identity over the years. And we're going to keep coming back to it, by the way, because it's just so foundational, it's so important for us to understand just what Jesus has done for us. Um, but let me remind you, 
Because you see, if you're a Christian today, you have a new identity. A new family, a new life, new potential, a new position, all made possible by the cross. So the Bible says this about you. You're a son of God. You're a son of God now. That means that God, the creator of the whole universe, is your dad. And that Jesus, the son of God, he's your brother. You're brought into this family. So you bear his family likeness and you inherit his righteousness. There's a beautiful picture that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. And it talks about him wearing a ring of authority and a cloak of acceptance given to him by his father. That's a picture of what it means to be a son of God, adopted, included and authorized by him. You're a son of God. You are royalty. You know, if God is a king and he's your father, that makes you one of the royal family. I don't know if you realize that. You're royalty. You're sitting next to royalty right now. Look around the room. It's full of royal people. Isn't that amazing? God has given you authority and influence and a new regal disposition. You know, there are some things of this world that we don't lower ourselves to anymore because we're royal. We can hold our heads up high and not go under in condemnation because we're royalty. And did you know that you're a new creation? You're a new creation. You're really new. I mean, sonship and royalty, I think, takes a bit of getting used to. (laughs) That's pretty new. But that means, this means that the old things of your old life, they really have passed away. And we get to live in the good of this. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Jesus has paid the price for it. I'm living again, a new life. And you're an ambassador of the king. You know, this new position makes us his representatives here on earth. We're deputized and authorized to take new places of authority and victory for him in the advance of the kingdom of heaven on earth. What a tremendous privilege to represent Jesus Christ in the world today. You're heavenly citizens. You've got a new passport. You come from another country. You've got different standards and values because you've got a heavenly culture because you're born a son of God coming from heaven, reigning, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. (laughs) That's exciting, isn't it? We've got a new identity in Christ. And this is what we're committed to creating as part of our foundational culture, a community of people who not only know who they are, but also recognize it and draw it out of one another. Because, you know, it takes some getting used to. And we need one another. We need to help one another, to call it out of one another. But, you know, if you've been around people for any length of time, even other Christians you'll know that we're not very good at this sometimes. Paul found this when he went to the church at Corinth. Because, you see, like so many today, they'd lost sight of the value of each and every member, and they got obsessed about the greater and the more visible celebrity type of ministries and gifts in the church. Can you believe it? These celebrity-type apostles and preachers were seen as more important than everybody else, or more valuable. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's correction of the church. This is a really key passage for us, a really valuable passage, where Paul tells us why honor for every member is so important. He says we've got to honor people. 
And he explains why. He says this, it's common sense. And he says you need to look no further than your own body to see this. Your own physical body to look how that works. You see, the church, he says, is made up like a body. He says it's made up of many parts but just one body. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 12. It says this, just as a body, although it's one, has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. So it is with the church. So it is with the body of Christ. It's one, but it's made up of many parts. And it doesn't matter how many parts of the body you can name. You can, you know, if you're clever and you're a doctor, you might know more names than I do, but I know hand and foot and eye and liver, spleen. I always think that's a great word, spleen. The spleen. I don't even know where it is, but I like the word. The spleen, the heart. It doesn't matter what you can name, whether you talk about cells and the microscopic parts of the body. It's still one body. And some of these parts are big, some are small, some are hidden, some are exposed. But they all go on towards the making up of this one body with all its interdependent parts. They're interdependent. They need each other, these parts, to make the whole. You know, as Christians, we no longer are living independent lives where we do our own thing, our own way. But we're in Christ. We're called into community, moving together, affecting one another. Do you know that you affect one another? We affect one another, integrated into this body. And and this is true, verse 13, whether we're talking about Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're a slave or free, it makes no difference. Because we all come in the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes in, you see, any higher. Nobody comes in any lower. Nobody comes in with any advantage or disadvantage. Nobody comes with privilege or underprivilege. That's good news, isn't it? You know, whatever your starting place makes no difference in the body of Christ. (laughs) However damaged you are, or however sorted you were, Whether you're middle class, upper class, working class, no class at all, we are all part of the body. Hallelujah. I feel like a Pentecostal. Come on. You know, that's the wonderful thing. That's why I love the church. You know, I'm going to get emotional. I love the church. I love the way it's made up. I love the fact that it's made up of people of every tribe and tongue and nation, colour, creed and type. You can go anywhere in the world and you can spot a Christian. Not because of their sandals (laughs) and their socks. (coughs) But you can see Jesus. You can see the family resemblance there. It doesn't matter what culture and colour or creed. I love that about the church, don't you? The body is not discriminating. Oh, by the way, it's throughout all time as well. It's eternal. It's past, present and future all together. That's the church. That's just amazing. What else is like that? I'm so glad I work for the church. What an employer. Job security. <laughs> See, the body's not discriminating. 
Many but one. Unity but diversity. Unity and diversity. A unity that is so fantastic that the previous labels of Jew, Gentile, British, American, Malaysian, Chinese, Indian, they're no longer adequate. They're no longer adequate to describe what the body of Christ is. I love the message version where the, the, the author sort of says, we need something larger and much more comprehensive to describe what this is. Paul calls this the body of Christ. You see, in an honoring culture, where you come from, your educational pedigree, your past life, your race, shouldn't prevent you from being a fully functioning part of the body. Because though we are many, we are also one, and every part is needed just like in our physical bodies. It's common sense. And you see, every part belongs. Paul, again, appeals to our common sense in verse uh, 15 there. He says this, and it's ridiculous what he says. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Can you imagine your foot saying that to the hand? (laughs) You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. It'd be something strange going on if the foot did start talking to the hand. But it wouldn't stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. You know, we struggle, don't we? Don't we struggle to belong? Don't we struggle to belong? You see it time and time again. We want to fit in. We want to be part of something. We want to be accepted and affirmed. And it affects how we dress, how we do our hair, how we talk, what films we watch, what television shows we follow. All to fit in and to gain acceptance, significance and value. We're all like it. This is because belonging is very important to us. It's part of how we are wired. We need to belong to something bigger and greater. To be part of something which gives us significance more than we could ever have on our own. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you feel that, that need to belong? You know, perhaps you felt, I, I want to do something with myself, with my life. I want to be something. I want to make a difference. Where do I belong? Where do I make my significant contribution? I tell you, if the Spirit of God is in you, you will have that. I want to make a difference. I want to make a lasting impression. This is because we're all designed to function within the context of a community like the church where our God-given destinies and our identities can function. Because it's from here that we gain our significance. And so in an honoring community, there is space for variety. Because belonging is not about being the same as everybody else, but it's about finding and helping one another find out what their unique contribution is to this part of the body of Christ. Where do you belong? Where do you fit in? What are your gifts? What's God calling you to do? We want to help you with that. 
We want to release that. We want to be a released people. We want people that are gifted and talented and servers and lovers to make a difference in the world today. That's what Jubilee Church is about. Amen. And then Paul goes on to say, every part has its place. We want to belong, and we want to know what our place is. And these places can be very specific. In verse 17, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has a place for you. God has a place of service for you in the body. You know, if they, if they were all one part, Paul goes on to say, where would the body be? You know, we were not all meant to be eyes or ears or noses. Paul's metaphor, not mine. We weren't all meant to be eyes, ears and noses. I mean, if we were, the body wouldn't function properly. If we were all eyes, then all we could do is this. Look and blink. Look and blink. That's all we can do. If we were all ears, all we'd be able to do is this. I'm listening. But I can't do anything about it. I'm just listening. If we were all noses, all we'd be able to do is smell. We would all smell. That's not attractive. (laughs) Keep up. Is that what we want? I mean, is that what we want? Is that what we want in that kind of church where everybody's the same? Everybody looks the same, dresses the same, speaks the same. Everybody's the same. They all fit in. They're all the part because actually they all dress the same. It might be easier. (laughs) But it doesn't reflect heaven. It's not what's in God's heart. Diversity. Got some work to do there. But what Paul is saying here is that each one of us is carefully placed where God wants us to be so that the body can function properly, despite its different but similar parts. You know, sometimes we can get very anxious about where we are and what we're doing. I love this. Paul tells us that God has placed us. Some people just need to rest in the placing. And just trust God. It's okay, you're in the right place. God will make it clear if you're not. (laughs) And just rest and do whatever he gives you to do with all of your heart. God arranged it and placed people so that we would all function together. And this means that no member of the body, follow this, follow me, follow me. This means that no member of the body can function as well independently of the other. We're all needed. (laughs) Did you know that? We weren't designed to work on our own. Christians need each other. (laughs) You know, you sometimes hear it preached, don't forsake the gathering together. It's kind of a condemnation. But actually, no, (laughs) we need each other. Don't forsake the gathering together. You need one another. We need one another. That's how God's designed it. That we need one another. Do you know that you need one another? Christians need each other. Actually, even people need people. Now they say that uh, 
Isolation leads to madness. It doesn't take very long. There's no other people. And it also means that none of us can adequately perform the function of another. So it means that we can't perform independently and and we can't do the function of another. You know, an ear can't do what an eye does and vice versa. I mean, how often do we try and do this? Trying to be something that we're not. But we're unable to take the place of another. I mean, you can't say that hearing is the same thing as seeing, can you? Or vice versa. Although if you were to lose either your sight or your hearing, maybe the body could adapt in some way, compensate, but they're still not the same thing. But in an honoring community, people are able to flourish in the gift that they uniquely are to that particular local expression of church. Finding out where you belong, the position of influence you occupy, without fear of competition or jealousy soaring through the proverbial ladder of somebody's greater gift. That's how God's designed it. Some are more gifted than others. I don't get that. (laughs) I don't understand that. But that's the way God's designed it. Every part belongs and must function where it's positioned, but not so that one part is honored above the rest, even though one might be more prominent than the others, but so that the whole body gains significance. You see, we get our significance in the body of Christ by our association with one another. You're part of Jubilee Church, Sully Hall. Hey. That's where we gain our significance. You see, verse 24, the second part of the, uh, the verse there, it says that God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for one another. It's when we function together as a whole body that we gain significance, purpose and meaning because what Paul is showing us here is that no part is significant on its own but only because of the greater body that it is part of. I'll say that again, it's important. Paul's showing us here that no part is significant on its own, but only because of the greater body that it is part of. Which, if you think about it, is the same to some extent across the world in every kind of organisation. I mean, think about governments. Where would they be without people to govern? (laughs) You wouldn't need a government. What about doctors if there was no patients to treat? Or leaders, you wouldn't need them if there was nobody to lead. Celebrities, you wouldn't need them if there weren't any newspapers to write about them. (laughs) You know, we're only as great as the sum of our parts. I like the message version of these verses. Verses 19 to 24 in the message goes like this. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. (laughs) Honor is not about creating egotistical monsters. And I'm sure we've created a few over the years by making too much of some people and valuing others too highly. 
but it's about creating an environment where every member is encouraged, released and supported to play their part wherever they're placed. That's what's significant. A church like that, every member... It's through this superb combination, this equal concern for one another, that we all gain our significance. Not just from individual contributions, but from our greater association with one another. So Paul writes, if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? So then, how do we know if this aspect of our culture is working? I want to finish now with talking about some of the outcomes of a culture of honour that we're expecting within Jubilee. Now, this is not an extensive list. These are some headings which can get you started in thinking about it. What does it mean if this is really implemented, if this really happens, if this is really happening? What kinds of things will we see Amongst us. Well, firstly, say that honored people are confident people. Honored people are confident people. People who are secure in their identity are secure people. In this culture of receiving and releasing people according to how God sees them, we believe that people will flourish. Do you want to flourish? To flourish in your walk with God, to flourish as a person, to flourish in your marriage. We believe that people will flourish if we are able to call out identity from one another. And if those people are more conscious of how God sees them, then that means that people are more at peace with themselves and less worried about what other people think of them. Which leads to courage and all the other things that we're going to be talking about. So honoured people are confident people. Secondly, honoured people are generous people. People that are honoured are generous with praise of others. (laughs) They're generous with their possessions. They're quick to encourage and cheer people on, rejoicing in the significance of others, knowing that their success reflects on all of us. And I just love it. It just seems like recently, especially the last few months, how often spontaneous applause has just broken out amongst us when somebody brings a contribution. And it's obviously been a brave contribution. I love that. I love how we honour one another that way. To cheer one another and say, come on, go for it. Do you know, sometimes we need to open our mouths to express our appreciation. I love how we do that. I want us to be proud of one another. How about that? Be proud. Look at him. Look around you. I want to be proud of these people. I want to be proud to be part of this group of people. How about that? Have you ever heard that in church before? I want us to be proud of one another, to love our church family and to promote, promote one another. You know, the opposite of that is gossip and negative talking behind people's backs, undermining one another. We want the opposite of that because that's what heaven's like. We don't want any of that, do we? And thirdly, honoured people are serving people. And part of this is this interdependence and belonging. And what that means is that it's less of a chore and more of a privilege to serve the royal family of Jubilee. Now, if you really began to see other people in the light of their true identity, how do you think that would make you feel about serving them? 
This is at the very heart of what Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 10, and he says this, he says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Do you serve one another? Do we serve one another willingly and lovingly, devoted to one another? Let me finish with this encouragement for you. Culture comes ultimately from our core beliefs. It's what we truly believe, what we really believe about church, what we really believe about one another. That's where it comes from, that's where it starts. And from these things, culture is then set out and maintained. It's by what we've believed, and then we set it out, we start to live that way. But then, and just as intentionally, it needs to be acted on so that we deliberately modify how we behave, how we act towards one another, to reflect what it means to live within that culture that we believe so much in. Do you get it? It's a bit circular. And what I mean is this, we don't feel our way into acting, we act our way into feeling. Sometimes we wait for the feelings of honour to come. <laughs> or when I feel like honouring them, I will honour them. Or when my attitude's right, I'll honour no, it starts the other way around. It's, I believe that this is really right. This is what God wants. This is a reflection of heaven. I'm going to honour people. And I'm not saying I've got it all right. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not hard. There haven't been struggles and difficulties, especially some people are so hard to honour at times, just being honest. But actually, you know, when you decide to honour, something is unlocked. And something of heaven is able to come. And so I just want to encourage you to decide today that you're going to take this to heart. And you might need to think about it a bit more, that's fine. But make a decision before God, This I'm going to take this seriously, about honouring people, especially within the church, but also outside of the church. Because, you know, it's, it's all people everywhere that Jesus died for. And who knows that your honouring of them may well be the key that unlocks their hearts. I told you about my neighbour last week. Something's happening just by the way I've been engaging with him, showing love and care and affection to them. How we honour people affects how they respond to us.